0: Hey, We're going to have a time in the Word uh, now, but I want to let you know, if you're, especially if you're new, we are going through the book of Mark chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It was my intention this weekend to go through or finish chapter 9 in the book of Mark, uh, but I felt a conviction Friday morning as I woke up that we needed to deviate for a specific purpose. And so today I want to share with you from my heart a message entitled, Abortion and the Culture of Life. And I want to acknowledge a few things about this message before I get into it, because I want you to be prepped for what I'm going to share. And the first thing I want to acknowledge is this, is there's going to be several passages I'm going to use, and they'll be on the screen. Some of them will be in here, maybe not all of them, so you just need to be aware of that if you're interested, in all of the references, I can send that to you later, but I just want to acknowledge that. The second thing is there's some sensitive material that I'm going to put in front of you. And so if you have children or kids in here, you need to decide if uh, you would like them to remain. I just respect parents and family. We all do that here at the church, and uh, you are the primary responsibility and disciplers of your home, and you get to decide if uh, they should sit through all of this. If you're asking, how sensitive do I get? I don't think I get that sensitive, but I think it's worth acknowledging that I'm going to bring up some procedures, and I'm going to show some uh, premature, uh, some Some pictures of some premature babies, which isn't really that sensitive to me, but I just want to make sure that you know in advance. Um, It's not for shock factor. I'm not going to show anything grotesque, but it's important just to know what we're talking about. So I will bring some of that up today. And the third thing is my goal is really to present a biblical perspective on this issue uh, to provide some clarity for the role of the church. That's actually uh, my goal. And so I do not have a political agenda today. I just want you to uh, go ahead and drop your shoulders and, uh, and rest. I, I just don't have that. I do come from a certain perspective. I want to acknowledge before we pray, uh, I am pro-life, but that doesn't mean that I agree with everyone that says they're pro-life. And it doesn't mean that I think everybody in the banner in the name of pro-life is saying the right thing or doing the right thing. And that's why I think we have to talk more about it and not less, because sometimes people will say, I'm pro-life too, but the way they're talking doesn't represent the Jesus that I follow. And so this is my perspective as I walk into this. I, I don't have a political bias. The way that I view politics is that if it lands on this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle, we're all accountable to this. And so as I submit this to you today, you obviously are godly thinking, biblically grounded people and you get to weigh what I'm saying But in the beginning of my message, it's going to be a lot of information, so get through that so that we can get to the scripture, and then we can land in a place where hopefully I can help you with some wisdom, because our world is is going crazy right now, and I just think it's important that we talk about it, all right? Everybody just say amen. Amen. All right, and don't walk out. Let me give the full presentation. My friend called me yesterday and literally said the last time he talked about abortion, he had people leave his church. And I wasn't encouraged. I said, please feel free not to tell me something like that next time. It was really, really awesome. I said, but nobody will do that at our church. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for your heart. Uh, Lord, we just come to you today and we acknowledge uh, that you're the shepherd, you're the pastor of this church and your church worldwide. And Lord, this is a real issue that has been going on for a long time, and people have all kinds of opinions and viewpoints, and as your people, we, we, what we really want is your view. And I don't pretend to think that my entire view is your entire thought, so I just pray that what is from you in what I'm presenting, that Lord, that would bring conviction, and it would inspire us to follow you into the place where we serve people. And I ask, Lord, where there are things that might be from me, let them just fall to the ground. And I thank you, Lord, for your leadership in this Holy Spirit, be our guide and our teacher into all truth today. We follow you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Uh, Two months ago, our, our media erupted, revealing leaked documents indicating that the Supreme Court might overturn the historic case of Roe versus Wade, which set a precedent in our country for legalizing abortion across all state lines in 1973. Uh, prior to this, abortion was almost entirely banned in most states. There were exceptions, medical exceptions in what, and, and whatnot, but most states were actually uh, not pro-abortion in, in those days. On Friday of this week, we all wor- woke up to the Supreme Court officially overturning Roe versus Wade, and this is a historic day. This is a, a 50 years in the making for many. And, uh, and obviously, we found very clearly and quickly that not everybody agrees on this. We, we understand that there is pro-choice and pro-life, and people differ on this, and we know that our country is divided. States are divided over this. We understand that even uh, Christians are divided, not just politicians, but Christians are even uh, divided. And if you don't know that, you need to know that. I have a lot of conversations with people, and this is not just a nuanced conversation. There are a lot of uh, divisive um, perspectives as it pertains to this. Now, somebody has said, and and many have actually said this to me, and you could even say today, well, Pastor Ben, I don't think you should be talking about this uh, from the pulpit or in the church. The problem is that this isn't solely a political issue. It might be encased in our politics of today, and it might be on the ballot in a sense but that doesn't mean just because it is that it only is a political issue. This is a moral issue and therefore it is biblical. And so we have to talk about it more to clarify what we mean and what God's thinking is. And so I disagree with that sentiment that this, isn't some, this is something the church shouldn't talk about. I think we should and I know that obviously today we will. But somebody also said to me that we cannot legislate morality and we cannot legislate God's heart and love. And I think I know what they're trying to say. When you say you cannot legislate morality, I don't agree with that. Every piece of legislation in our country, in any country, carries somebody's morals. The question is whose morals are being legislated? And so this is something that we're involved in, and there's a moral stance in each and every law. Personally, I I prayed for Roe versus Wade to be overturned. I did, and so when I woke up Friday morning, I was thankful. I was grateful. And I realized that I was going to enter into a lot of debate and a lot of discussion um, with people that I love who differ with what I would say and with what I'm gonna to say today and have said. This is not something that I've been afraid of. I put out a podcast two months ago. Um, I don't know if you listened to it or not, but if you did, you, you know what I had to say about this issue. And we're going to uh, go further a little bit today. But this entire generation for the last 50 years has been raised on a pro-abortion stance. They've been baptized, washed with this mindset that not only is an abortion a woman's right, but they've been told that it is right, that it is right, not just a right, but that it is right. It is the moral thing to do to care for people who are in this position. And so we just have to understand the complexity of the times that we're living is based on the fact that this has been said to us in our society for 50, over 50 years We've been told that it is just simply a medical procedure and it is a healthy one at that. And so obviously with the news happening or coming out on Friday, we understand there's gonna be a great backlash. And, and so it, it is in my heart to share three things with you today. And the first is I wanna give you an overview of what abortion is and what it entails so we're all clear on what we're talking about, like definitions and all of that. Second, I wanna give you a biblical overview of life, Life in the womb and abortion and also the protection of life. I think it's important that we just go to the word. What a lot of people are not saying or asking in the midst of this cultural upheaval is what does God think? And that's what the church has to do first. So we're going to go to the word. And then the third is what is the church called to do in fostering a culture of life so we can serve people in the name of Jesus? That, that is where we're going to land today. So let's start with an overview of abortion. What is abortion? Well, the dictionary says this. A procedure that removes an embryo or fetus from the uterus in order to end a pregnancy. Now, if you're not familiar with the word embryo or fetus, an embryo is from conception to eight weeks. That's what's referred to as an embryo. A fetus is eight weeks to birth. If you're over 70, these are not words that you grew up with using. You always use the term baby, but this is the medical language of of how people speak today. Some facts are there have been estimated 63 million abortions in the U.S. since 1973. Um, Actually, most people say there's a lot more than that. These are the ones that are basically logged. In 2020, there were over 930,000 abortions in the United States, and just kind of comparing that to 1.6 million in 1990. 95% of all abortions are done in a specialized facility such as Planned Parenthood. I know some people have the idea uh, that they think these are all done in a hospital. They're, they're done in specialized facilities uh, that do abortions. That's where most of this comes from. And by the way, these statistics are on CDC. Feel free to go, go and look there. I, I didn't just make them up or pull them off of a blog. Um, the ages of abortion performed. This is a very important piece here. 9% of all per- performed abortions are for ages 13 to 19. 57% are for those that are in their 20s. So obviously that's where the bulk of them are happening and 31% women in their 30s, 4% women in their 40s. So you can see it's really a younger person thing that's going on. Um, in 2019, we know that 85% of all abortions were performed for unmarried women. And what I'm going to present to you today is, is a, a bigger issue than abortion. Actually, this is if you really look at the statistic, statistics, you find that we don't follow God's design in marriage and covenant and family and faithfulness. Obviously, we're trying to um, deal with the mess or the consequent consequences as a result of that. And so really, I'm going to back up a little bit today. There was a study released by Charlotte Logier Institute that found 47 of the 50 European countries, independent states and regions either do not allow elective abortion or limit elective abortion to 15 weeks or earlier. Now, here's what that means, just so you know why I'm bringing this up. The United States is one of seven countries that allow abortions past 20 weeks without most restrictions. We're one of seven countries. So if you want to understand, like, the point that I want to make today in that is is that the other countries that we're neck and neck with would be like North Korea and some others, okay? So when you think about where we stand in the world on this issue— Um, There are other countries, these statistics right here have been debated because people will say, well, you can in other countries uh, apply for um, some kind of waiver if there's a medical issue of some kind, but in our country, you don't have to do that. That's my point is is that it's automatic. You can just get it. Now, here's some things I want to share with you, and this is a little sensitive material. Typically in church, we won't bring this up, but I think it's important that we just look at what this is, okay? Everybody, we got to look at what this is. There are four different types of abortions. They're referred to as medical procedures, and I'm gonna bring them up. I'm gonna share with you the three. I'm gonna refer to the fourth, but I won't describe it for you, but I, I am gonna walk through this so that we know. Procedure number one is called a manual vacuum aspiration, and this is up to seven weeks in a woman's pregnancy. This is a surgical abortion where a thin tube is inserted into the uterus. A large syringe is attached to the tube, and the embryo is suctioned out. That's, that's the first uh, abortion. The second is called a suction curatage. And this is the most common between six to 14 weeks that's performed. The baby is larger. Excuse me for saying these things, but I, I feel like we need to. The baby is larger. The doctor must first stretch open the cervix using metal rods. Opening the cervix, it may be painful, so they use a general anesthesia. That's typically needed. After the cervix is stretched open, the doctor inserts hard plastic tubes into the uterus, connects this tube to a suction machine. The suction pulls the fetus body parts apart and out of the uterus. The doctor may also use a loop-shaped knife called a curate to scrape the fetus and the fetal parts out of the uterus. That's what happens. Procedure number three, this is a little, this is difficult, Dilation and evacuation, a D&E, this is 13 weeks to 24 weeks, second trimester. This is more rare. We have acknowledged that, but it, does, it is still approved, and it can obviously still happen here in our country. At this point in the pregnancy, the fetus is too large to be broken up by suction alone and will not pass through the suction tubing. So in this procedure, the cervix must be opened wider and is done by inserting numerous thin rods one to two days before the abortion. Once the cervix is stretched open, the doctor pulls out the fetal parts with forceps, the fetus's skull is crushed to ease removal, and a sharp tool called a curate is also used to scrape out the contents of the uterus, removing any remaining tissue. Procedure number four, dilation and extraction from 24 weeks to full term. I'm not going to describe this for you. It's called partial birth abortion, uh, but I would be uncomfortable. I'm already uncomfortable, but I would be way more uncomfortable explaining that to you. The real debate here, friends, is always this. When is a life an actual life? That is the question that we're dealing with. That is the question underneath all of this. Is it 10 weeks? Is it 24 weeks? Or is it birth? When you read some of the statistics or the polls of what people actually believe, it's startling. Maybe not to everybody, but it certainly is to me. What I could glean from these polls is that many people say and believe. That a child is actually a life at birth fewer and fewer people believe at conception when a person chooses to have abortion the question that people are asking is what are they aborting are they aborting a child a growing child or a clump of cells i was watching a conservative guy interview some people on a college campus and he was asking students this question when is a life a life that's the question he had a microphone and he was recording it when is a life a life And so as he was asking this question, when is a life a life, most would not answer the question. They just simply wouldn't do it. And they would say things like, I don't know. I don't know when a life is actually a life. Then what would happen is as he would continue to ask these questions, some people would say birth. And then he showed pictures of a developing child in the womb to these people and he'd say, what is this? He'd say, what is this? And show it to them. Many of them, again, they wouldn't say, I I don't know what that is. A couple of them would say a group of cells and he would ask them, is this a human? Is this a human? Different stages of development. Most would just simply not acknowledge. That is on the college campuses of the United States. He probably had 100 people that he asked and overwhelmingly the majority, I don't remember one person saying that it was a baby if you're over 70, you know you grew up saying when anybody was pregnant, you used the word baby. You didn't say embryo. You didn't say fetus. You didn't say clump of cells. All of this is new language that we're using to soften the blow these days. Now, I bring up this to acknowledge the defensive posture that we have today whenever you talk about abortion in our society. And a lot of times, I think the reason is, is because we don't even know what we're really talking about anymore. We use different language. We don't want to talk about the development we don't wanna, don't, please don't discuss the procedures. Some of you might even think it's inappropriate for me to bring it up in church. I think we have to look at what we're talking about if we're actually going to study the scripture. If we don't look at what we're talking about in our culture, how can we look at the Bible and even reference what God might think about this? Think about what? A group, of, a clump of cells or a growing child? Well, I, I wanna do something with you today just for a few moments. I wanna look at the development of a child. And I'm going to go through the weeks. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I just want to share this with you. At five weeks of a woman's pregnancy, there's a tiny heart that starts to form and beat. This is where, th- this, is where this begins. At six weeks, a nose, a mouth, ears, brain, they start to develop. Seven weeks, little hands, feet, arms, and legs start to emerge from a growing child. At nine weeks, basic anatomy, earlobes, they double in weight at this point. At 10 weeks, limbs start to bend, details like nails form. And of course, at 12 weeks, I'll show you a picture of of that ultrasound at 12 weeks. Fingers open and close, toes curl, mouth will make sucking movements. This is a picture that you can see the child. You can just see the child. Um, There's a huge debate today if we can show a woman the ultrasound of her developing child in her womb, she might change her mind from having an abortion. That's a highly debated uh, thing. Some will bring statistics that will say that's not true. Others will say that it is true. I've uh, watched many testimonies of doctors who were abortionists up until the ultrasound came about. And when the ultrasound came about, they gave up their practice because they could no longer, after looking at—this is 12 weeks— This is when a mother and hopefully a father go into the doctor's office and they tell you the sex of your baby and you walk out of that office saying, my boy and my girl at 12 weeks there's a celebration of life that happens and people are excited there's some people in our church that are pregnant and they're contagious they're so excited about this growing child and and one of my friends had like the the weeks you know and they would have this picture on Instagram and it'd be like 10 weeks this is how big the child is and they're really excited and then it was 14 weeks and and it was this sort of exciting picture uh, collage that developed over that year and it was it was exciting you know to see this development 14 weeks brain impulses start firing they use facial muscles kidneys work they start to suck their thumb 14 weeks at 18 weeks a baby can flex their arms and a mom can feel their movement of course they can at 20 to 24 weeks babies grow to appear like many newborns and there's too many things to list but let me show you this is lila And she's a miracle baby. They would say viability for a child outside the womb is 22 weeks now. Now, it's gotten lower and lower, praise God, over the years because we have lots of premature children based on um, some difficulties. But this is Lila. She's 21 weeks. And uh, now she's, I believe, 11 years old. And uh, she's doing really well. But yeah, praise God. This is viability outside the womb at 21 weeks. I just want to show you a picture here. At uh, 30 to 35 weeks, babies fill out, move all around. They're swimming around there, and mom, mom's not getting a lot of sleep. Maturing, central nervous system, all that's going on. This is a picture of grace. I want to show you grace. This is 30 weeks. Um, yep, there you go. Hey, grace. Um, uh, she was born premature at 30 weeks, and uh, she's now older as, as well, but was a miracle. Her story's a miracle, um, but she got to the place where she could finally fit that cap on, so that's kind of a cool thing. The babies now at 35 to 40 weeks are like newborns, and they grow and develop until birth. The question, friends, that we're putting in front of us today is, when is a life a life? So what's my perspective? My perspective is conception. Conception. That's what we believe. That's what I believe. It's conception. This process that we reviewed here today is simply a beautiful development of a growing baby. We need to know what we're looking at and what we're talking about. We have lost that in our society. We shouldn't lose that as as followers of Jesus and those that look at scripture. So what does the Bible say? Ben, you, you gave us this pitch. What does the Bible say? The first point I wanna make to you about what the Bible teaches concerning life and abortion is this, God is the giver of life through the blessing of marriage and, of course, that development of family and children. Look at Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, all the animals. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. That means In covenant relationship and marriage, have sex and have children. And fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every living thing that moves on the earth. Take dominion. I want you to rule over the earth as you develop family. The Bible says that God made us in his image. We bear the image of God. That means every human being has the imprint of the one and true God. This is our reality. He called men and women to make covenant with each other. We call that marriage and to have children and to fulfill his purpose because it is his divine design for us to do so. Now you could say, well, not every married couple is gonna have children. That's true. Some cannot, some do not. And that's fine. And that's not necessarily, you're not doing what God said, but we've got to realize something that this is God's design He created male and female in His image to have children, to flourish, to subdue the earth. And then what? To glorify God. It's God first. It's about God's creation. It's about what God wants, not just about what we want. And so our sexuality was a gift as part of his divine design and purpose commission as seen from creation. And we can understand passages when we believe that, like Psalm 127 and verse 3, that children are a blessing and a gift from the Lord. As I shared with you last week, it's like holding a child. And the thing that you think when you see your child is, is you're a miracle. It's miraculous, it's powerful, it's, it's amazing when you think through this, and so what we're talking about today is that it isn't about us, it's about God, His creation, His design, His desire, and we have misstewarded our sexuality, which is why we're talking ab- about abortion today. You cannot talk about abortion without going all the way back to the actual root of the problem. Friends, my heart goes out to single mothers because they're the ones sometimes that get abandoned in this process. And so we want to help protect and preserve their life. We want to lean towards them. And so there are some Christians who are very compassionate towards them and don't want them to quote unquote ruin their life by having this child and it shipwrecks their entire future. That's the perspective today. And I'm not here to damage anybody. I don't wanna speak down to any women that have to go through horrific things and make hard decisions and all of that. But friends, if you just put it all together and step back from the emotion of it and just look at the macro picture, if we're not gonna do marriage God's way, and if men aren't gonna be fathers in the home, we're not gonna look at children as a blessing. We're gonna have sex out of lust and not out of love. And now we're trying to fix a problem that God has already fixed when he created us to begin with. And when you take a step back and you say, what is this all about? This is all about us walking away from God and trying to fix the problem we cannot fix because it starts and it ends with who God is and what God has said. So it's not a time to get angry at people. It's for us to go back to the original creation and the design and ask God, how can we help people to see you? And how can we help people to see who they are in light of what you've created and what you've made? It's not a debate to be won. It's something to be understood. The second part of this is God values life in the womb. That's the question. Does he? Well, I believe that he does. Someone messaged me and said, the Bible doesn't say anything about abortion. And that's an interesting comment. It's the way some people do Theology today, well, if Jesus didn't mention about this, then he clearly doesn't care about it. But see, the Bible does speak about God's awareness and involvement and value for life in the womb. So clearly he cares about taking that life. So to suggest he doesn't say anything or care about abortion is to avoid the fact that he speaks about life in the womb and values it. Look at what Psalm 139 and verse 13, the psalmist writes to this perspective. He says, for you created me, My inmost being, that means you formed my inward parts. The Hebrew language usually references like a body part because it's such an ancient language and it's a picture language. So whenever they use something metaphorically, they would connect it to a body part because that's what they had. Greek language will associate with like Olympic games and other kinds of things in the the developing world. But it's like you formed my inward parts. That word is almost like my kidneys. Like you formed my You knew me before my parents held me. You knew me. You were involved. You were aware. You were in love. You loved me. You wanted me. The psalmist would write, Jeremiah chapter one and verse five, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. What is he saying? I had a purpose for you before you had life outside the womb. I was calling you far before you ever existed. Job 31, 15, did not he who made me in the womb make them, he's talking about everyone else, did not the same one form us both within our mothers? This gives us a compassion for our fellow person. Psalm twenty two ten 10, from birth I was cast on you from my mother's womb, you have been my God. These verses and many others particularly, they carry a prophetic nature to God's plan and purpose and they highlight his foreknowledge. What are we talking about? We're saying that God has omniscience. See, these things go hand in hand. God has perfect knowledge about the past, the present, and the future. You remember how we teach in apologetics that God is outside of time. That means he knows things before they come into being. be. He knows people before they exist. God is involved. God is mindful. God is aware. And God is at work before we actually come onto the scene. This is the omniscience of God. We could discuss all kinds of verses like conception, Pregnancy, miraculous conception, birth of specific people in the Bible, how John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb. There's all kinds of celebration around the issue of life and pregnancy and all of that. I could bring all of these scriptures up that really help us come out of that baptism of our culture and really realize what's being said in the Bible. To say the Bible doesn't speak about abortion is to miss the fact that it speaks about and upholds life from the beginning to the end. The third point I want to make to you today is we are commanded to value life, which means we cannot take it. If God is the giver of life, and he is, and he values life in the womb, which he does, then how do we frame up abortion? Generally speaking, an abortion is the ending of a life, which is clearly something the Bible is against. And so without shock factor, just looking at it plainly, Exodus 20.13 says you shall not murder. That means you shall not take a life. Leviticus twenty four seventeen, this is how they looked at this under the old covenant. If you take a human life, you will be put to death. This is how they saw it. It was wrong. If, Pastor Ben, are you saying that people who commit abortion should be killed? No, not that's I'm just trying to give a biblical perspective of how the Bible saw the protection of life. We do not take life. That is something we cannot and should not do. Proverbs six sixteen, this speaks to the abortionists, the medical providers, which we're all accountable, by the way. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. We're all accountable for what we do, no matter what side of the equation that we're on. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, and who put darkness for light and light for darkness. In other words, those who change morals, those who change morals from what God says to what we say. Woe to those, the Bible would say. We live in a culture that is confused when a life is a life, convinced us that abortion is simply a medical procedure and no different than birth control, and that anyone who says differently is actually the people that are creating harm. You're creating trauma. You're creating harm. You're putting people in, into a place where their mental health is, is, is even more difficult. It is you're the actual ones that Would harm this. Now I agree. Sometimes Christians or people that consider themselves pro-life are not doing the right thing or saying the right thing. I agree with sometimes that perspective. Like if people who say they're pro-life are not are not going about it in the right way, let's just own it, friends. That's not what it's about. We're not here to harm each other or judge each other. Is there one person in the room that is without sin? Please don't say yes. That's not my point of my sermon today. I'm just talking about cultural perspectives here. What about God's perspective? Have you noticed how abortion and other cultural issues have human beings at the center? Our future, our rights, our hopes, our aspirations. This is secularism. This is godlessness. This is what we were warned about as a postmodern era of what was going to happen. We were warned about this and many did not believe. I mean, you can connect in an apologetic way. You can connect evolution to all of this. If we're not really meant to be here and we don't really matter and we're all basically accidents and there is no divine designer and there is no creator, then none of it really matters. And ending a life or a clump of cells doesn't matter. Do you see how all of these things are connected? What they're connected to is God is not involved and he doesn't matter in the equation. This is where all of this comes from. It comes from somewhere. It comes from a godless perspective of which All of us once had. The fourth part of this is we are called to protect and value all human life. Everybody say all. 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 That means all. All human life. God is not only the giver of life, values human life in the womb and commands us not to take life, but he calls us to protect it. All lives, including those in the womb. As a way of righteousness, this is who we are. This is what we do. There are so many passages, hundreds of passages that reference children, disabled, poor, marginalized, oppressed, abused, widows, orphans, and so much more. I believe it also includes the unborn in our modern times. It includes all of the above. Proverbs twenty-four, eleven: rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. And if you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? God is aware. He understands our culture better than we do. He knows what's right or wrong. We have to have God's perspective in all that we think and all that we do. That is the most important piece. This is not a time to be defensive. This is a time to know what God thinks about this. Proverbs 31, eight, open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all those who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor, the needy. And I would add to it, any of those who are in need, any of those that need our help. Some have asked me, shouldn't abortion be allowed for women facing something life-threatening? Yes, I, I agree with that personally. You don't have to agree with me, but I do. I think if the woman's life is threatened, yes. I think that is a medical emergency procedure that needs to be considered between that doctor. I, I'm not for someone losing their life. I'm not for a woman losing her life. So yes, some people would disagree with that, that are pro-life, that's, that's fine. That would be where I, I, would, I would say that. I've, I was asked that last night. Preserving and protecting life is a biblical position and, and I support that, of course, even if I don't always agree with people in the way that they go about these discussions and these debates. What is the response of the church? It's this, friends. It's culture of life. Uh, We said all this to get to this point. What must we do? What are we supposed to do about all this? How do we posture ourselves? I want to share some thoughts that I have with you, but first I want to tell you where we're at. I received uh, in the last couple months, because I did a podcast on this, and I'm not making myself a victim. I just want to share with you the perspectives that are around us in case you don't have as many interactions as I do. I received no less than five messages recently claiming that I have not spoken against racism or spoken up or enough for racial equality, but I have certainly spoken against abortion, which clearly reveals a profound hypocrisy and ideology and agenda. That's what I was told multiple times. Additionally, I received another four to five messages claiming that I and other Christians are hypocrites and that we speak against abortion but are unwilling to do much of anything to help children outside of the womb. It's all about voting. It's about power. It's about control. It's about authority. I've been told this multiple times, and this is the perspective, and perhaps you have that perspective. I don't know. I I meet people in the church, and and I know a lot of you, and I don't think you have that perspective, but I don't know who I'm talking to or what perspective people have anymore, and so I'm just going to respond to some of this. First of all, we have spoken out against racism. Our church is multicultural, multigenerational, and it is growing even more that way, and so we we absolutely condemn racism in every form and every fashion. And we have done that. I have done that to the point where I have literally said racial insensitivity, jokes and other forms of things that people consider okay are absolutely not okay. I have said that from this stage and I will continue to, uh, to do so. And yes, I don't have the same story that other people have, but I still can say what is wrong is wrong and what is right is right. And so I say that to you today. But however, to suggest that one cannot speak about a moral issue because they are not equally as passionate or engaged in another moral issue simply dismisses the issue itself. It's illogical. For example, if we went outside today and I said, hey, look at the beautiful blue sky. And you looked at me and said, you're colorblind. How can you speak about the blue sky? And I go, well, maybe I am colorblind, but is the sky blue? you're colorblind. Let's stop talking about this. You don't have, you, you don't have any right to talk about what color the sky is because you can't see it anyways. F- fine. Is the sky blue? <laughs> Can you tell me then? Well, I don't want to talk about it. That's what we're dealing with today. So if you're not a woman then you can't talk about this or, if you, or you, can't, you don't have the authority to talk about racial equality if you're not a minority. It, on and on goes the conversation and really what we're doing is we're dismissing the fact that every person has an obligation to not just speak like I do or preach, but every person has an obligation to go to the word of God and to decide as they study and interpret and live their life before the Lord of what he says is right and live according to it. And friends, let me just say, if the only way that I can talk about an issue is if I have some type of moral high ground, every person is dismissed right now from ever having anything to say about anything. If the only reason that you can speak about something is because you supposedly are in a certain category and you have a certain moral high ground or you're perfect, which you're not, then nobody will ever be able to speak about anything. It's just illogical. So I'm not speaking about it today because I'm better than or more than or greater than or more educated than. I'm speaking about it because it's in the word and it's a cultural issue that we have to deal with. That's why. My response to this is is just simple. And I would like to point out to you today that there are three pregnancy resource centers for every one Planned Parenthood. These are privately funded, usually Christian funded, non-government funded, Planned Parenthood is entirely government-funded. It is an abortion clinic, I believe. That is what it is. They have abortion day. I mean, please go online and look at the testimonies. There's too many of them. Okay, so we... uh Pregnancy resource centers are privately funded, Christian funded organizations. The Buddhists aren't doing it. The Muslims aren't doing it. The Hindus aren't doing it. Friends, who is it? Who are the people that are actually building orphanages? Let's just really ask the question. Put all of the emotional stuff aside. Put all the, the confusion of the culture aside. Who's really, is it, is it secular humanists building the orphanages? Is it atheists? They're making the arguments though. I've had it. I've been told this. Like, you guys don't care about this. No, we care about life. This is what we ought to care about. The majority of these things are being fostered and built by Christians. That's a fact. Please do the, do the research yourself. This is what I ask. Christians are called to foster a culture of life, to resource life. Four, four quick things, and then we'll close. Number one, God has commanded his people to care for the struggling and the suffering. This is throughout the Old and New Testament. His heart is for all people throughout all generations. We are commanded to take up the plight of the suffering, all kinds of suffering in every way, shape, and form. We are commanded to do that on every issue, not just this issue, but every single one. And we are doing that imperfectly. The church has a history of racism, they have a history of violence, but they also have a history of a lot of beauty. So we have a, let's just, if there's stuff in our past, let's just own it, amen? There's stuff in the church, there's stuff in every people group, there's stuff in every nation, we'll just own it. But what we're doing is saying there's a culture of life upon us and we've gotta be a part of it because it's in the word. Number two is the early church cared for the widows and the orphans because it was essential to Christianity. There's an overwhelming evidence to show that the church has always been committed to life and helping people all the way back to the first century. Our history is not perfect, but there's a lot of beauty to be discovered. And number three, we got to get involved through praying, giving, and serving. We support CareNet, Pregnancy Resource Center, New Beginnings, which is post maternity care, and we have our own ministries, and this is a hard sell today. We started a ministry called Hope for Families. It is part of the future of our church. I know if you've been around a long time, it's new, but I see this in the next 10 and 20 years. The greatest need for foster care families, adoptive families, single-parent household is wraparound services. People that are consistently there for families throughout the entire year. This is what these services are telling us, and this is what we're developing a ministry for. It's called Hope for... Everybody say hope. Hope. I want you to be involved in this on some level. I want you to be praying toward this. I want you to get involved if you can. Our desire is to build 50 care communities by the end of 2023. That is our desire. And the reason that we're doing this is to not only fill the need, but everybody can be involved in some way. You can be a part of a team, which means you don't have to take on the burden of a family that is stuck, struggling, or suffering, but you can be a part of a team to provide care throughout the entire year to not only the families, but also the children children. This is a developing vision that God has given to us for this very reason to care about all life, no matter who they are, where they are, what they're struggling with. God has given us a vision and we're going to implement that. So yes, sometimes we've got to come out of the things that we used to do, celebrate those things, but we're going to put a lot of energy into this, and it isn't just transition. It is literally a vision that I believe the Lord put in front of us through the pandemic because that was clearly what was needed, and that's what we're going to go after. So I want to encourage you to get involved in this. Let's put our money where our mouth is. Let's put our time where our desires and our doctrines are and see hope arise in our community and 50 care communities to developed by the end of 2023. And the fourth part is this. As I close, we need to show compassion and love toward those who have gone through uh, the horror of abortion. So if you're listening to me today or you're in the room, I shared this last night. I want to share this again. Um, We're not here to throw stones. We're not here to judge anybody. We were all born into sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you've participated in abortion and you're hearing any guilt, shame, condemnation, that is not the point of today. That is not the character of our church. That is not the path that we're taking forward. What we're saying today is that while we're pausing this weekend and talking about this issue, it's so that we don't carry the confusion into the culture. We carry a heart for life, and that's what we speak about. That's what we're geared towards. That's what we're focused on. And if that's not what we're focused on, we're going to do what everyone else is doing and be online trolls and not do anything good in the world and just fight with each other. We need to put down the fight and pick up life. So if you're here and you've gone through that, I want you to know God loves you. God will forgive you. He wants you to turn to him. This is his heart. The gospel is clear. Every person has done what is wrong. And I know we're in a culture that is celebrating this. They're celebrating abortion you don't realize that, that's where it's going. And so we want to, in the midst of that, not just argue. We want to say we're going after life. We want people to look at what we do and say, man, Christians are different. Christians really do love people. They put their money where their mouth is. I've told you guys some of my story, but I'll just close with sharing this with you just to be a little vulnerable. And, and I really have no stones to throw. I have none because I've gone through this from the male's perspective, which is not the same as the woman, and I acknowledge that up front. But when I was 18 years old and had a girlfriend and was a non-Christian at the time, um, we got pregnant and we were scared. I know what it's like. We were scared. You know, you think automatically your life is ruined. She thought that. She had a growing career and and uh, we didn't love each other, and we didn't want to be in that position, obviously, and every perspective that we got, except for the ones I didn't talk to about it, obviously, because I knew what they would say, every person said, get an abortion. It was just the way, just like drinking water. It's what you do. Don't ruin your life. Don't ruin your career. It was all geared towards her. I was never really asked in the whole situation, and I'm not looking to be a victim, and I'm not trying to ask you to be sorry. I just walked through it with her, and so we just did what everybody did. We were scheduled one week from the time we realized that we were pregnant. We were in that office. And it was the weird, one of the weirdest experiences of, of my life. And I thought the least that I can do is sit with her while it happens. And I held her hand. I know what it looks like. I know what it smells like. I know what it's like. I know what, it's, I know what her face looked like. I don't forget what happened that day. I will never forget what happened that day, even though it was many years ago. And so when people talk about it in, as a debate today, I'm like, friends, Like I went through that and I remember looking at her face, the confusion that was on her face, the bedside manner of the person not knowing what to say to us because something awkward was happening. I, I know what it was like. And when we left the office that day, I, this is how I felt about my life. I felt like, what a horrible person I am. That's how I felt. Six months later, unbeknownst to me, I would come to Christ. <laughs> Part of the reason is because of how I felt. I finally felt super convicted like I am a horrible person and I have mistreated this woman and I'm no good and I thought I was trash already, but now I really thought it. That's how I felt. And so God used that. A lot of annoying people preached to me about Jesus for six months, you know, and I wouldn't have listened to him before, but now all of a sudden I really felt like I am a wretch, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I've got no stones to throw. Several years later, I met my wife who had two kids, and I didn't realize that God was giving me an opportunity not to pay back but to redeem something beautiful. And while I was participating and taking a life, God hooked me up with a woman who, when she was 15 years old, got pregnant And that man abandoned her. And even though she was not a Christian and she was told by everybody to have an abortion with her first and her second son as a teenager trying to graduate from high school, she still had the children without the support of almost anybody, which is why she's my hero to this day. It's not lip service to my wife. And raised them for half of their life without me. And then I got the privilege to come alongside her and raise these two boys, which has been one of the greatest privileges of my life. And so I may not know what it is to talk about this issue in a way that I feel like is more appropriate, but I can tell you that I'm thankful that God gave me an opportunity to bring life into this situation. And yes, I I raised two boys who had two different fathers that were abandoned by their fathers. But I'll tell you what, if you care about life, God will put you in the midst of a situation where you get to see what only Jesus can do. If we really care about life, I am telling you, if you say that to the Lord, if you care about it, not just the commentary, but if you really want to walk that path, God will give you opportunities. I didn't know I would give my 20s to raising some other man's children, but in the process I learned from a really godly woman what it was like to make the right choice and to do the right thing, even when you were scared and fearful. And if you are here and you didn't make that choice, it isn't shame to you. Bridget and I have both of those stories, you know, all of it's filled with all kinds of sin and wrong choices and God's redemption and his beauty in the midst of it. But it's all about God. It's about God. And so this is the way I want to lead our church in the future ahead. You know, some people will run with me and some people won't. God bless you. We love you. We're not here to rail on things. But number one, we have to be a people of truth. And if you're comfortable with that or not, it's still the truth. This is what doesn't change over the centuries, over the ages. This doesn't change, guys. Culture changes. Perspectives change. People's debates and arguments change. But I am willing to bet the majority of the people in high society and intellectual commentary and conversations are not involved in helping people in this issue of life. The majority of them are not. Our foster care system is a mess. I admit it. Bridget and I have ventured into that space. The adoption care services, it is expensive, which is why we have tried to personally support people getting adoptions. It can cost $30,000, $50,000. This is why when I used to travel, I didn't take honorariums because half the time we were trying to give those that money away that people would give to me, and I had my own business so that we could support people that were actually adopting children because we wanted to put our money where our mouth was. We didn't want to be those pro-life Christians that were railing at everyone else. Most people are confused and scared and don't know what to do in these situations. That's where they're at. And so we roll up our sleeves and we go after these people. And I'm just telling you, let's put down the fight and let's pick up life. Let's just pick up life, guys. God's gonna hold us to an account of what we did with what we knew, not just what we said, what we did. That's the church of Jesus Christ and that's the way that we're gonna lead this congregation going forward. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me and pray. Would you do that? ben you didn't answer every question about this i know <laughs> i can't answer every question about this i'm not not sure that i know how we're contending for all life you see these boxes on the side of the uh of the platform here these are our old benevolence boxes and uh, they were down in storage and i walked by them one day and i thought we need to bring these back up but not for benevolence we need to bring them back up for prodigal prayer and last week I asked you, as we talked about, the devil can't have our kids, amen? amen. I'm telling you, he can't have our kids. In the womb and to the tomb, we're, we're contending, can't have our kids. And so I brought these boxes up and I told you that if you had a prodigal or if you were close family with a prodigal, take your Connect card and write the name of that prodigal on there and put it in these boxes. We have 800 to 1,000 names in there right now. That's what we're contending for. I want you to look at the reality of this. We're contending for 800 to 1,000 names. That's how many prodigals that are represented in this church. And I bet you there's a lot more. I bet you some of you weren't here last week and you didn't know that, so you'd write a name and put it in that box. Please do that. Don't put your offering in that box, guys. <laughs> okay, don't, don't, <laughs> don't do it. Okay, connect cards with, with prodigal prayers. And I told you we were gonna contend every week until every single one of those prodigals, prodigal, somebody that's walked away from God until they come back to the Lord. So we've got two things we've got to pray for. Number one is we want to pray for life and all that God leads us into. Number two, we want to pray for our prodigals. Will you do that with me today as we close? Amen. So you could go ahead and start praying at any time out of your own mouth with your own words, but I'll pray in the microphone. So Father, we come to you today and we don't come as those who have every answer, but we come to the one who has all answers. God, we've made mistakes. We've mishandled things that you've given to us. We've said things the wrong way. All that's true we have sin in our lives, Lord. We're not trying to just win cultural debates, Lord. We want to be a people of life. And so I just speak, I prophesy over Northwest Church that we are a culture of life. And I pray, Lord, we would shine brightly in this season. And what would come out of us is something otherly, something different, something that looks like Christ. So Father, we pray that you would speak into our hearts, And we would be a people filled with the Spirit on mission with Jesus to redeem that which has been broken in this world. Father, give us a heart for that. Father, thank you that you're turning things around, that you're healing our hearts, that the gospel addresses every issue that we face and deal with. And so we, Lord, we pray that in the midst of this, the debates on abortion and the conversation, Father, I pray that while on one hand we stand against that which is wrong, Lord, we spend most of our energy toward redeeming what you're doing in the world, Lord. We get to be a part of what you're doing. Help us, Lord, to take up the cause for not only the unborn, but everyone who is struggling and suffering. And hold us to an accountability in that. And where we have failed, we ask for forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us Forgive me for not leading the right way at the right time and doing the things that should have been done or saying or praying. Father, I pray that you would lead us into the future in a way where we would see Jesus as Lord and we would see Jesus touch the hearts of men and women all over Federal Way and beyond. And now we pray over our loved ones, Lord, our sons and our daughters, our brothers and sisters, moms and dads in these boxes, thousand names represented. We pray that they would come to Christ. Father, we ask you that you would send out workers and messengers that would preach to them in an annoying way even, Lord, the gospel of Jesus. Chase them down, Lord. Pursue them. Don't take no for an answer. Father, as we pray them in, we pray that you would hem them in. Surround them with a Christian witness, Lord. We pray that all of them would bow their knee to King Jesus and confess that you are Lord. You are Lord. And we pray that our loved ones would say it with their mouth and mean it with their heart and we would see the redemption of the Lord and that we would rejoice here in this place as we see each one of them turn to Christ. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you would help us in these times to do as you would do and nothing more and nothing less. We thank you today in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.